Hello and welcome to Accent of Women, a national show by and about women from diverse cultures and languages in Australia and around the world. I am Lourdes Garcia Larque, and on today's show we will be talking about the rise of racism in Australia and the federal elections, particularly the election of Pauline Hanson. We will be looking at a historical perspective on the first time that Pauline Hanson came to the political arena in 1996. We will be talking about the role she played at the time and also the role that social movements and political organizations played in kicking her out of politics. Racism is not something new or unseen in this country, but in recent months we have witnessed demonstrations of people on the streets opposing multiculturalism, refugees and particularly opposing Muslims. Some of these mobilizations have been called by openly racist groups like the United Patriots Front or the Blue Crew. But on the other hand, we have also seen big mobilizations of community organizations, the left and the anti-fascist groups, to oppose these demonstrations. On July the 2nd this year, Australian voters attended voting stations to participate in a federal election brought by a double dissolution, electing all 226 members of Parliament, House of Representatives and the Senate. There are a few things that we can discuss, and one of them is the recent election, again, of Pauline Hanson. To, to discuss this issue, I spoke with Tess Lee Ack. She is a teacher, a member of Socialist Alternative. She is of Chinese heritage and has been a long-time activist, particularly in the fields of racism, women's liberation, and generally, socialist politics. She recently published an article called How We Stopped Pauline Hanson Last Time, published in the number 12 winter 2016 edition of Marxist Left Review, a publication of Socialist Alternative. Welcome, Tess. Thanks, Lou. Yeah, thanks so much for joining us today. I was very interested in talking to you because I read a recent article that you wrote about Pauline Hanson and how we stopped her in the last time she was in, in politics. And me, I arrived in Australia 10 years ago, and to be honest, I wasn't very familiar who, with who this person is. And I imagine many younger people in Australia will not know the history of Pauline Hanson and what she represents, even though she's very presented, represented in the media at the moment. So who is she? Well, this is um, 20 years since Pauline Hanson first burst onto the political scene in Australia. Uh, back in 1996, she was endorsed as the Liberal candidate for the seat of Oxley in Queensland. But then she was disendorsed because she wrote a letter to a, a newspaper um, criticising the so-called privileges that uh, Aboriginal people enjoyed. And uh, so she, because it was late in the, in the piece and uh, it was too late to um, have another candidate, uh, she ended up um, getting elected uh, but sitting as an independent. And when she made her maiden speech in September 1996, it was an absolute tirade against both Aborigines and multiculturalism and an attack on migrants. And uh, it unleashed a wave of racism across Australia. And, of course, Australia has a very racist history, so all that stuff is never very far below the surface. Uh, but she really um, gave voice to that kind of sentiment and encouraged uh, people to express it. 
Yeah, so at this, now that we listen to the media, we read the newspaper, we watch TV, we hear her talking about Muslims and refugees and halal certification and all these kind of things. But that wasn't the case in the 90s when she was very active back then. No, uh, initially her focus was more on anti-Asian racism, which uh, is you know, has a long and disgraceful history in Australia. Um, but it just shows, I think, how what a useful and, and um, flexible weapon racism can be, uh, that she has been able to switch from anti-Asian racism. I mean, she's still anti-Asian, but her focus is now much more on uh, anti-Muslim racism. And, of course, that's a product of the whole wave of Islamophobia that we've seen around the world um, ever since the events of 9-11, uh, the, the wars in the Middle East and so on. Well, if we go back a little bit on the 90s, because this is part of the history that I think is very important that people remember, and if they are not aware that they become a bit aware about what was happening on those years. So we have been talking a little bit how racism is nothing new. There have been racist elements against Asians at the time that come especially from the Second World War, etc., and that sort of fear that was in the Australian people that oh, she's too close and there's so many of them and so on. And having someone like Pauline Hanson on Parliament certainly, I imagine, gave voice to these people. But on your article, you talk about something that I found very interesting about whose voices precisely she was representing, who was the people who voted for her, supported her, and some of them joined what then became her party, One Nation. So who was these people, I'm talking about the 90s, that supported Pauline Hanson and this very open racism that she expressed? Yes, well, I think that's a very interesting point, and it's one that um, I think has been much re misrepresented in the media. Uh, there's this image of Pauline Hanson supporters as being blue-collar working-class people. And obviously some working-class people... Um, do support her because um, we have a very racist government that encourages that. Uh, but if you look at the actual people who voted for her in various elections or for her party, if you look at the kind of people who joined her organisation or who tried to set up branches of her organisation, what we find is that they're overwhelmingly middle-class people um, and it's always that sort of layer of people um, that can be attracted to racism and, um, and more importantly, um, on the basis of that, can also move into um, a support for fascism as well. Well, we're getting used or we're used in the media to see these sort of clowns uh, bringing these voices so openly with so little actual analysis and research. Not only in Australia, we now have like a world famous one, like, um, Donald Trump, uh, this sort of the, the same type of personality. Um, but the media seems to be fascinated by this, certainly is fascinated with Pauline Hanson at the moment. That she's an expert on all sorts of topics that has to be with Islamophobia and especially that topic and racism. But she was also very present, present on the media during the 90s. You also write about that on your article. What was the, the impact that you think it had on the media or why was she so popular in the media back then? 
Well, I think the media saw that she was someone who was very different, who sort of stood out from the crowd um, and who could, um, you know, create headlines and thus sell newspapers because of the outrageous things that she said about Aborigines, about uh, Asians and so on. And so they, the media actually, I think, quite consciously turned her into a celebrity. Uh, I mean, the, the amount of times that she was mentioned in the press was just phenomenal. Um, she was followed around everywhere. Everywhere she went, the media followed her around, filmed her uh, when she walks in shopping centres, for example. Um, and they just really pushed her to the forefront of Australian politics um, and I'm sure she was very grateful for that because it did enable her to build her organisation out of it and of course there are sections of the media you know, particularly the right-wing shock jocks in Sydney for example Alan Jones and, and people like that um, who were very much pushing the same kinds of messages about anti-Aboriginal racism, anti-Asian racism and so on uh, and so um, you know, she fitted in very well with the kind of message that they wanted to push anyway. Mm. And they, through, through her, they, have, they could have a strong voice in Parliament, not just run right. the media. That's right, yes, yes. She gave them a voice in Parliament as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, well, so this, we are talking about how it was a very popular, very useful probably for some sections of the media, but and probably some part of the ruling class who benefit from for many forms of racism. But not everyone was very happy with her, and on one hand... There were people in the establishment that wasn't very, weren't very happy on the way she went so far on the way she used racism in well in, through the media and also in parliament. So we, going by, like, she was elected in 1996 and didn't last very long in parliament before she was removed. One of the things that took her out was the sort of rejection somehow of parts of this this establishment that were not very happy with that. Why do you think was that? Well, there were certainly sections of the Australian ruling class and the capitalist class who weren't happy with it because... Uh, they didn't. They weren't concerned about the anti-Aboriginal racism. That was quite useful for them. They liked that because they had an interest in seizing more Aboriginal land and um, uh, mining on it and so forth. But the anti-Asian racism they did find disturbing because um, uh, Australia's trading partners are very much located in Asia these days. Japan and China are extremely important for the, the Australian economy, and uh, they very much feared that um, having someone you know being so openly racist towards Asians um, and getting a following in Australia would actually damage. Australia's international image, uh, damage the kind of, um, make it more difficult for Australia to play the kind of role in the region that it wanted to play, uh, that it would make um, uh, Asian, other Asian nations in the region uh, less likely to want to trade with Australia, um, that capitalists in Asia would be offended by the kinds of, of racism that were being, was being espoused by Hanson. And, and uh, so they had an interest in trying to damp all that down. Um, but it was a very limited uh, national interest Uh, that they were promoting. I think the other side of the resistance was the popular resistance, and I think that was much more important. Um, The kind of people who, you know, just basically hated all the racism, um, who hated the fact that um, Aborigines as well as Asian people were being targeted and uh, who didn't want to see a return to, you know, the kind of ideology of white Australia, which Pauline Hanson very much represented. Um, and so those people really turned out in, in very large numbers all around the country uh, whenever she appeared to demonstrate against her and to say that, you know, you don't represent us. This is not the kind of Australia that we want to live in. You're listening to Accent of Women on Satellite across Australia. 
where we are talking about the recent election or re-election of conservative and right-wing Pauline Hanson, representative of the party One Nation. She jumped on politics during the 90s on an anti-Asian, anti-Aboriginal platform. Right now, she's still on politics on an anti-refugee, anti-Islam platform. We are speaking with teacher and socialist activistess Li Ak. She is of Chinese heritage. She has been a long-time activist opposing racism and campaigning for women's liberation and socialist politics. We are talking about the presence and impact that Pauline Hanson had during the 90s in Australian politics. So we will be talking about the years of 96 to 98. She will, tr will try to promote her as an independent candidate, then forming one nation and trying to establish branches all around the country with more success in some states than in others. I believe Victoria was not very, like precisely the best home for her. But same as some, the media will follow her everywhere, as you mentioned, her opposition will follow her too. Mm. Activists, people will be demonstrating against her in sometimes hundreds up to thousands in certain cases. Probably you ex you were part of some of these marches, yeah, I don't so know. Quite a few of those sort of protests. Yeah, so yeah. what was happening at the time? What motivated people to come to the streets against Pauline Hanson in particular or against any other forms of racism? Well, as I said, I, th I think a lot of people were just outraged that in, in the kind of multicultural society that Australia has become, um, that someone was going around, you know, trying to turn back the clock to the white Australia policy, trying to put down Aborigines and Asian people in particular at that time. Um, and it was having an effect. It wasn't just words. Um, the reports of racist attacks on people, uh, physical attacks, um, Uh, rose sharply. Uh, people were getting, you know, sort of verbally abused and even physically abused in the streets just because of their appearance, whether they were Asian or Aboriginal. Um, and so there were definite consequences of the fact that she was going around stirring up all this racism. And so people were really angry about that uh, and didn't want that kind of, of thing to be happening. Uh, so um, when she did announce that she was going to be speaking at a meeting or One Nation was going to be setting up a branch somewhere, uh, people came out in droves, you know, and whether they were socialists or students, migrants, Aboriginal groups, uh, a whole range of people uh, came out to, to say, you know, this is not acceptable, the kind of stuff you're saying, and we, we want to um, raise our voice to say that it's not acceptable and we want to stop um, an organisation that promotes racism from getting formed. And I think that was the, what drove a lot of people who came to those protests. And this, some of these rallies may have been small just to stop a small meeting happening here or there, but some were quite big. There was a big rally called by, I don't know if it was Trades, trades Hall. Trades Hall, yeah. yeah. And it was mm. like about 50,000 people, 50,000, 60,000 people, yeah. That was in December in 1996. And it was, um, it was sort of an umbrella organization, but it, it included Trades Hall, it included church and community groups. And uh, there was a huge march through the streets of Melbourne to, to say that, you know, Pauline Hanson's ideas were not acceptable. That was probably the largest demonstration that took place anywhere. So depending on what the event was, um, the events could range from, you know, just a few dozen people in, in a sort of small country town or something like that uh, through to, you know, hundreds or thousands in large centres, places like Newcastle or so forth. Yeah, and I, I read that the first place in Victoria where she tried to have a branch of her Um, her party was, I think, in Geelong, which, well, now it's the industry is sort of moving out of Geelong, but was, has been traditionally a very working class 
town and a blue collar and all these industries there. And people say they're like, oh, no way that we're going to let Geelong be the the main thing for the, for one nation. So good job, good job, Geelong. Yeah, and, well, talking with some people my age, they were saying that they were finishing early on high school and that they would come out and that they they were very motivated by these um, anti-racist demonstrations. Yes, I think that was one of the remarkable features about the movement, that it mobilised whole sections of people who'd never been mobilised or hadn't been mobilised for a long time. Uh, for example, we used to get lots of Asians at demonstrations and, you know, that was quite unprecedented. But high school students were another group um, and they mobilised in, in all over the country. Uh, they had their own demonstrations, they had sit-ins, um, they had all sorts of activities and, uh, as you say, it was um, on a scale that we hadn't really seen since the Vietnam War. Uh, it was the first time since then that, that high school students had really mobilised as a collective and it was really inspiring to see. Yeah, and we live in Aboriginal land. What was the participation of Aboriginal people at, at those actions, those rallies? Yeah, there were always Aboriginal um, participants at the rallies, um, a number of uh, different places, locations, um, Canberra, Tasmania, uh, Hobart um, in Tasmania, uh, Launceston in Tasmania, um, Geelong, Dandenong, um, virtually anywhere where there was an Andy Hansen protest, you would find um, groups of Aborigines coming out to uh, to stand up for their rights as well. Mm. Yeah, and well, this lasted more or less between 96 and, is it 98, when she was finally... In, in 98, she failed to win a seat in the federal election. Failed to win a seat, and then there were lots of problems that we weren't going to, but... She was briefly jailed for electoral fraud um, after a campaign led by Tony Abbott, um, but the charges were later quashed. But by that time, really, her movement had been pretty much destroyed. Yes, and that has been thanks especially to the people on the streets and not letting her have a meeting, I guess. Well, that's that's certainly not letting what I would them argue. Grow. But um, again, that differs from the mainstream version of events, um, which tend to focus more on the fact that, um, well, for a start, that the Howard and the Liberals stole a lot of her racist policies, so mm-hmm. that sort of um, undermined her. Um, and also the fact that, you know, she was an idiot and made lots of mistakes. Um, that tends to be the, the generally accepted view for why she um, fell from power. But um, really, I think the role of the protest movement has been greatly understated in um, the demise of the One Nation movement. And she may have been called like an idiot or someone like quite stupid for the way she spoke. However, she was out and... Her policies stayed, her language, the, her political language stayed, was the same. Yeah, she certainly rhetoric. picked up on the Islamophobia. Mm-hmm. And I think just going back to the previous point, um, the media really made um, quite a, a bad mistake in just writing her off as, as stupid. Um, and that was, it was very elitist view that most of the media promoted. Uh, and that actually, I think, um, worked against them um, and worked in her favour because People are so fed up with the mainstream politicians. They are so aloof. They're so divorced from everyday life. Uh, the major parties, whether Liberal or Labor, all they do is attack working class people. Um, and so um, there's been a real disillusionment with mainstream politics. And someone like Hanson can really tap into that because she seems like you know she's an ordinary person. She's a battler. She's like one of us. And I think the media, by um, just being so... Um, scathing towards her, even at the same time as they were promoting her, um, actually um, helped to get her support because people, you know, in some sense she benefited from that disengagement that people have with mainstream politics. And, well, this sort of brings us more to the to the present too. So let's 
No, the question was not that she was totally non-existent for those 20 years. Certainly, her political politics stayed, and many of them became mainstream and have been in place since since here. And now, just a few weeks ago, she was elected back again by this double dissolution that meant she needed not many votes to win, and suddenly she was there again, possibly will be joined by a couple more people from her party. I'm not sure. But she's back. So why is she back? Other than the fact that she didn't need so many votes, but why is she back? Well, I think, um, as you say, she's been trying to get re-elected ever since 1998. Um, she's made numerous attempts. to. She's stood in all sorts of different parliaments at, um, for, for different seats. Um, and finally, you know, because of the double dissolution, she is back and, and also Queensland was always the stronghold for, for One Nation. Um, and I think, you know, she's benefiting from the rise in um, racist feeling. She's very much jumped on the bandwagon of Islamophobia, which, as we know, has really increased in recent years. And so she's benefited from that. I think she's benefited also from, um, as I was just talking about, the, the disillusionment that people have with mainstream politics. Um, so all of that has given her a, a bit of a, a lift, I think, in, in um, getting being able to get elected. And I think she has ambitions to, you know, recreate some of the, the kind of movement that she led back in the 1990s. Um, and there are, you know, there are plenty of organisations around, like the ones you mentioned in the introduction, the UPF, the True Blue Crew, um, you know, outright fascist organisations that are promoting very much the same sorts of ideas in terms of Islamophobia. Um, and I think, you know, there's a real danger that, you know, those, those movements can link up um, and present a, a greater threat. Yeah, sure, from having these sort of marginal groups that are on the street trying to recruit people and similar to Hanson at the time, other organizations trying to stop them and preventing them from growing or as, mu as much as that's possible. But now they would probably have a voice in of a similar, a similar voice in parliament. Um, yes, because I think um, Islamophobia, because it's been driven so much from the top of society, is entrenched in a way that the anti-Asian racism wasn't. And there were even sections of the Australian ruling class that actually wanted to campaign against the anti-Asian racism. But there's no one, apart from the left really, who wants to stand up in support of Muslims. Yeah, and it's uh, part of an international campaign. No? The exactly. United States is the same. Europe is the same. Mm. So why not Australia? And well, she will gain some power when there is this parliament that is not really won by any of the major parties and probably voices like her will be really sought after to search for some balance of power. Yes, well, you can see already since the election um, here in Victoria, we didn't hear that much of a... In the last few years. But ever since the election, there's an article about her in the papers just about every day. She's on TV just about every day. Um, once again, the media are turning her into a celebrity because she sells newspapers. You know, she, she makes big headlines with the things she says. And so that gives her a voice and, and um, allows her to reach out to people. Yeah, so that's quite dangerous. And um, what do you think? Well, it's too early to know. But this week, just in a, in a few days, there will be an event where it's going to be discussed how to stop Pauline Hanson. Can you talk, us, talk with us a little bit about this event that is taking place here in Melbourne, if you are in Melbourne? Yes. Um, well, on Thursday night, uh, the 28th of, of July, uh, Socialist Alternative Thursday branch is holding a public meeting on how we stopped Pauline Hanson last time to try to uh, look at the experience of when she was, was around 
20 years ago and trying to build a movement and um, how she was defeated and what lessons we can learn from that for today uh, because, you know, it is an I- a live issue again uh, in a way that it hasn't been for some time um, with the rise of Islamophobia, with the rise of these fascist groups that are getting out on the streets and trying to find an audience. Um, it makes it quite urgent that we do understand how, how we can stop these kinds of movements and nip them in the bud before they can become mass movements. As we've seen with the growth of the far right in Europe, um, you know, there are countries where far right parties are in or very close to being in government um, and that represents a real danger. Yeah, well, this I think will be very interesting for people to to attend if they can to learn more about how we stopped Pauline Hanson last time and what it will take to stop her and other racist organizations and individuals this yes, time. So, so the meeting is uh, at the Socialist Alternative Centre in the Trades Hall building on the corner of Victoria and Ligon Streets, and it's at six thirty p.m. on Thursday, the twenty eighth of July. What are we doing now, or what? do you think just briefly will take to stop Pauline Hanson right now? Well, I think the important thing is that um, what we did learn from last time is that, you know, the more people we can mobilise to confront the fascists or the racists whenever they pop their heads up on the streets, um, you know, there's, there's been this idea going around that, oh, if you just ignore these people, they'll go away. They're just a small minority. But that is to fly in the face of all the lessons of history. Um, you know, people didn't ignore Hitler and he didn't... People ignored Hitler and he didn't go away. Um, so if we want to, um, you know, stop these fascist movements from growing, it's absolutely essential that we confront them on the streets every time they pop their heads up so that we don't get um, the rise of, you know, sort of almost militia-type groups who take it upon themselves to go around beating up Muslims or beating up Aborigines or whatever. We have to stop that kind of thing from happening. Yeah, of course. And I think also educate people why we are so upset. No? Who is to blame of... Why are we upset? Why is there not enough jobs? That's well, right, yeah. We ne- need to identify the, the real causes of the problems in our society, whether it's unemployment or, um, you know, lack of social welfare or whatever. Um, and it's, you know, it's not migrants, it's not Aborigines, it's the kind of um, neoliberal policies that we see coming from governments. So ultimately to defeat racism and fascism, we also have to defeat those sort of policies that come from the top of society. We just listened to anti-racism activist Tess Liak. We have been talking about the recent election of Pauline Hanson. Tess is author of a recently published article called How We Stopped Pauline Hanson Last Time, published in the winter 2016 edition of Marxist Left Review. You can find a link to the article in the information box of this week's program. That's all we have time for on today's Accent of Women. If you would like to listen to this show again or any of our other programs, you can download the podcast from the 3CR website, www.3cr.org.au. Accent of Women is produced in the Melbourne studios of Community Radio 3CR with the financial assistance of the Community Broadcasting Foundation. This show is distributed nationally via the Community Radio Network with special thanks to the Community Broadcasting Association of Australia. If you would like to give your feedback, propose ideas, or just get in touch with the producers of the show, you can write to us at accentofwomen at gmail.com. You can also follow us on Twitter or like our page on Facebook. Thanks for listening to our show again. I'm Lourdes García Larque, and I look forward to your company again in our next program. 